Well, tonight we're going to continue looking at the book of Philippians together, so please open your copies of God's Word to the book of Philippians. Uh, tonight, we've, we just completed last week, chapter one of the book of Philippians, and tonight we're going to be looking at Philippians chapter two, verse one through 11. But for the sake of our memories, I want to start reading at chapter 1, verse 27. Philippians chapter 1, beginning at verse 27. This is God's holy word. Only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ. So that whether I come and see you or am absent, I may hear of you that you are standing firm in one spirit, with one mind striving side by side for the faith of the gospel, not frightened in anything by your opponents. This is a clear sign to them of their destruction, but of your salvation and that from God. For it has been granted to you that for the sake of Christ, you should not only believe in him, but also suffer for his sake. Engaged in the same conflict that you saw I had and now hear that I still have. So if there is any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the spirit, any affection and sympathy, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interest, but also to the interest of others. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant." Being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. And here we will end the reading of God's word. Let's pray. Lord, we would come uh, to you again asking that you would speak to us. Lord, we have just read your word and we pray that you would emboss it on our hearts. We pray that you would put it into our minds that we wouldn't forget this. And Lord, we would ask that you would speak to us. Would you open up the scriptures to us? Would you help us to see? We think of how you opened up the disciples' minds and how you expounded the scriptures to them. We would ask, Lord, that you would do something of the same to us tonight. Would you help us to be Bereans? Would you help us to listen for your voice? We'd ask these things in Jesus' name and for his glory. Amen. When you're learning to do something, it is nice, I think, to have an example. 
I wonder if uh, the children out there, when you learned to ride a bike, or uh, when you learned to roller skate, and your parents show you how to do it, um, you're going to hold on to the handlebars like this, and put your pedals here, and pay attention, because this is how you're going to steer, because you don't want to hit the tree, right? And this is how you stop, and you have to pay really close attention. And then you get older, and as you get older, you go to high school, and you go to college, and it's so helpful to get uh, examples of papers, you know, when you have to write those kinds of things, so that you can see what the title page is supposed to look like, so you can kind of read and even look at what that content is supposed to sound like. So you can look and see, this is how you do a proper footnote. This is how you make a bibliography. It's great to have examples. And then for us, uh, older uh, folks who are no longer in school, where do we go for examples? That's right, YouTube. You can learn how to do anything on YouTube. <laughs> and so uh, you're not afraid of anything anymore. I need to hang a, you know, a fan of my new house. No problem. I've never done it. I'll just watch YouTube. And typically, there is something there on YouTube to teach you how to fix your washer or dryer or whatever. You can pause, rewind. You do that about 10 times. Eventually, you figure it out. Well, in Philippians chapter 2, verses 1 through 11, Paul aims to persuade, to persuade the Philippians to walk in humility. And he does so by pointing them to Jesus as their example. In verse 3, Paul says, Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility, in humility, count others more significant than yourself. And we learn that we ought be humble servants. So as we meditate on this passage, we're going to ask how Christ sets an example of humble service. And we'll start with our first heading, which is thoughtful service to others. Thoughtful service to others. So at the end of chapter One, Paul gives instructions about standing united against opposition from outside the church. And in chapter two, he instructs the Philippians about standing united against division from within. In verse one, he writes, so if there's any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the spirit, Any affection and sympathy, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. Don't you know, don't you know that you're united to Christ? Aren't you gripped by his love? Aren't we united in the spirit Aren't you a partaker in Christ's affection and sympathy? Shouldn't we reflect the heart of Christ? In verse two, Paul says, if so, if so, then complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. You see, true spiritual unity comes from within. 
It's a matter that springs forth from the heart. Notice that verse two begins with the words, the same mind and ends with the words of one mind. Be of the same mind. Have the same love. Be in full harmony, having one mindset. You see, this is a plea. It's a plea from the Apostle Paul for unity. Let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel. This is a plea to the Philippians to be a gospel-oriented church as they relate to and care for one another. Paul continues, do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. He says, count fellow church members as more important than yourselves. Not not abstractly, not philosophically, not theoretically, actually, from the heart, with your actions. Be humble, be thoughtful, be like Jesus. Verse five says, having this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped. You see, when Paul talks about Jesus being in the form of God, it has nothing to do with with shape or size. The scripture's clear. God is spirit. The word form means nature. It's pointing to Christ's essential being, who he is. From all eternity past, Jesus Christ is God. In fact, Paul states that Jesus was equal with God, doesn't he? The Father, Son, and Spirit are of the same substance. One God, three persons. Nevertheless, Paul says that Jesus didn't count equality with God a thing to be grasped, to be held on to. Jesus was willing to leave the glories of heaven to come down to earth. Why? Why would he do this? To fulfill the will of the Father. Because Jesus wanted to fulfill the need of sinners. Sinners desperately need Christ. Jesus came to save his people. You see, the heart of the Savior is full of love, compassion, selflessness. Jesus thinks of others, not himself. This is the mind of Christ. It's an outlook and attitude that says, God has called me to serve him to love him and to love my neighbor. He's called me to love his bride, the church. It's a mindset that asks, 
What needs to be done? How can I help? How can I support her? How can I come alongside of him? How can I use what God has given to me to bless others? It's a thoughtful mindset that leads to humble service to others. That's our second heading. Humble service to others. In verse 3, we learn a rule for any gospel-oriented church. The last half of verse 3 says, but in humility, count others more significant than yourselves. But that's easier said than done, isn't it? It's easier said than done. How can a person of superior abilities and intellect regard others as more significant? By using that ability and intellect to look honestly into the mirror of God's word. By assessing yourself honestly in the light of scripture. Who are you? Are you not a sinner in desperate need of forgiveness yourself? In 1 Timothy 1.15, it says, This saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am the foremost. This is the attitude you should have. That's the attitude you should have, an attitude of humility. This is the person that Christ emptied himself for. Draw your attention to verse five. Paul writes, have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking on the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. The ESV says that Jesus emptied himself, and that's quite a literal translation of the Greek. Other translations say, he gave everything up, or he gave up his place. Another says, He gave up divine privileges. The point is that Jesus, the Son of God, the second person of the Trinity, volunteered to come down and to enter human history and permanently took to himself a sinless human nature, body and soul. That's what Paul says in verse 7, isn't it? Jesus emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. We talked about that word form. You remember, it refers to someone's essential being, to someone's nature. When Jesus was born in Bethlehem, he willingly took upon himself a human nature. He manifested the form of God in the form of man. He took upon himself a human nature from which he could never escape. 
Why would he do this? He humbled himself to rescue you. Oh, do you see? Do you see how much he loves you? And please recognize this about the character of Jesus. The Lord Jesus never became humble. No, he is humble. His humble nature is demonstrated in the incarnation. And he calls his disciples to follow him in humility. The Lord gave his disciples a demonstration of humble service the night he washed their feet. You remember during the supper, he arose and he stepped aside for a moment and he took off his outer garments and he tied a towel around his waist. He um, quite literally looked like a servant and he took a basin and he filled it with water and he went to his disciples who were lying down and he knelt down as a servant and he washed their feet and when he, was, when he was finished, he got up, he put the things aside, he put his clothes back on, and he said, you call me teacher and Lord, and you're right, for so I am. If I then, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I have given you an example that you also should do just as I have done to you. Truly, truly, I say to you, a servant is not greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. If you know these things, blessed are you if you do them. In humility, count others more significant than yourself. Will you be persuaded Will you humble yourself before your brothers and sisters? Will you follow Jesus in sacrificial service to others? That's our third heading. Sacrificial service to others. Paul appeals to the Philippians. He wants them to experience true spiritual unity that's derived from humility. Because pride leads to division. Paul says, think of the needs of others. Be humble. Count others more significant. Serve them. He points them to Jesus' example. Consider verse 8. And being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death. Even death on a cross. Paul points the Philippians to the gospel. He says, walk in humility with your brothers and sisters. Demonstrate Christ-like charity. Jesus took a human nature for you. Why? Because he loves you. He came to serve you. He came to redeem you, to rescue you. You see, he sees how much you struggle. He knows that you often want to do what's right, but you keep failing 
You keep falling into sin. You can't do it on your own. So we came to restore your relationship with God. He came to stand in your place. He came to serve you. He came to be obedient for you. He came to work on your behalf. Besides, Jesus covenanted with the Father in eternity past. The Father elected. He loved his own so much. He was willing to send his Son for your redemption. To save any and all who would believe the gospel. It was agreed that Jesus would come and keep the law on their behalf. You see, Jesus was obedient for you. Do you see? Do you see how much he loves you? He humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross. And you know how painful life can be. But Jesus was willing to endure that pain for you. He was poor. He was often hungry, tired, thirsty. He had to watch his loved ones die. The sick and the desperate flocked to him all the time. He was intimately aware of human pain and suffering. He was accosted by demoniacs. He healed. You see, serving you was costly. He was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. He was God manifested in the flesh. The long-awaited Messiah, and he was despised and rejected by the ancient church. But that was always part of God's plan, wasn't it? It was part of the cost of your redemption. Jesus was rejected, betrayed, falsely accused, unjustly condemned. He was mocked, spat upon, slapped, beaten. He was whipped. He was crucified. He hung in shame before a mocking crowd while his earthly mother watched him die. Oh, do you see how much he loved you? That wasn't even the worst part of it. Your sin was transferred to Jesus. He became sin, unholy, and heartbroken. The Father poured out his infinite wrath upon his Son. And for the first time ever, the Son asked, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And the father answered, my elect, that my elect might be forgiven and restored to me. You see, it was Jesus' delight to serve the father. It was his desire to serve you. 
Consider how Jesus humbled himself to serve you, his disciples. If he was willing to do this for you, shouldn't you be willing to humble yourself and serve others? Especially those for whom Christ died. Offer yourself in service to others. Follow Christ's example. Live a life of glorifying service to God. That's our fourth heading. Glorifying service to God. The Philippians were facing opposition from outside the church. But they were also starting to face division from within And division reveals a spiritual problem within the fellowship. And it often stems from envy, selfishness, and pride. Paul was painfully aware of the destruction division causes. He was dealing with it even as he sat writing in prison. You remember chapter one, if you look at verse 15, Paul said that there was envy and rivalry among some of the pastors there in Rome. And in verse 17, he said that some of them were even seeking to hurt him out of what? Selfish ambition. Do you see that? Chapter 1, verse 17. Well, Paul wants the Philippians to be truly united He wants them to flee division. He wants them to walk in humility. So in Philippians 2, verse 3, he tells the Philippians, do nothing, do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit. You're called to let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ. Consider how God rewarded Jesus for his faithfulness. In verse 9, Paul writes, Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of the Father. You see, Jesus died on the cross and he was buried in the tomb, but that's not where the story ended. God raised Jesus from the dead and there were hundreds of eyewitnesses to it. You see, Jesus fulfilled his mission and after his sacrifice, he returned to heaven. And the prophet Daniel was given a vision of Christ's return. Daniel says, I saw In the night visions, and behold, with the clouds of heaven, there came one like the Son of Man. And he came to the Ancient of Days and was presented before him. And to him was given dominion and glory and a kingdom that all peoples, nations, and languages should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion which shall not pass away and his kingdom one that shall not be destroyed. The son of God returned to heaven, but he returned as the God-man. He returned with a glorified human nature. 
You see, 2,000 years ago, Jesus walked into the throne room of God. And when he did, there were thousands upon thousands of angels on each side of him, as well as all of the saints who had passed into glory before him. And there Jesus was given a robe and a scepter and a diadem. He was given all dominion and power and authority. Jesus was crowned as king. The father bestowed on him the name that is above every name so that at the name of Jesus, every name should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of the father. Jesus is the king of kings and the Lord of lords and he will return to judge the world at the last day. Christian, live in a manner of life that is worthy of the gospel of Christ. Give your life in humble service to him. Love him by loving his bride, the church. Be tender with her. Gentle. Be careful. Jesus promised that those who were obedient to him would be richly rewarded. Follow Christ's example. He thought of others, not himself. He humbled himself and became a servant. He lovingly gave his life to others and he glorified God in his body. In Philippians 2, verses 1 through 11, Paul instructs the Philippians to stand united against division from within. He aims to persuade the Philippians to walk in humility by pointing them to Jesus as their example. He says, do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. And we know what it's like to face division, don't we? We were just called to prayer and fasting over this very issue. God is speaking to us. He's calling us to true spiritual unity. He's calling us to walk in humility, to be reasonable, to set aside pride and to love one another. Will you listen? Will you be persuaded? Will you love Christ's bride? Look to Jesus. Consider how he thought of you, not himself. He humbled himself and became your servant. He lovingly gave his life for you. He glorified God in his body. Be like Jesus. Be a humble servant. Amen. Let's pray. Lord, we marvel. We marvel that you would do this, that you would humble yourself in such a dramatic way to take on a human nature to know us and what we go through so intimately 
to be willing to take pain and suffering to yourself, pain and suffering like we will never know, to undergo the infinite wrath of God on our behalf. Lord, forgive us for our pride. We get so distracted so easily, Lord. Um, we, we forget who we are. Um, people who should be so grateful just to be allowed in the place. Uh, Lord, we ask that you would help us would you give us a fire, a love for your church that burns like a fire in our hearts? That when we see our brothers and sisters, we would see your bride, people that you love so deeply, we can't even understand it. Lord, help us to be gentle. Help us to be servants. Help us to be walking in humility counting one another more significant than ourselves. Lord, we are going to need your power to do this. We would ask that you would help us. We know it's your will. We'd ask that you would empower us and give us strength, that you would do it and hear our prayer for your own glory's sake. Amen.